You're getting the most out of being at a game with American Express. The card member entrance, the lounge, and out tip-off. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast with me, Phil Kitramelides, and my friend, Dr. Sid Lowe. Hello, Sidney. Hello, Phil. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Not too bad, thanks. Uh, we are recovering or enjoying the fallout from the Spanish Super Cup, which took place uh, over the past few days, the final of which was played in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. For more on that, listen to our bonus podcast, uh, which was uh, over at patreon.com forward slash TSFP uh, on Friday, where we discussed the uh, sensitivities of holding it uh, in Saudi Arabia. We're not going to do that now because we're going to talk about the actual football, which saw Real Madrid beat Barcelona by four goals to one in an extraordinarily one-sided game. We'll then talk about match day 20 in La Liga because there were several matches which took place in the Spanish top flight. We'll also talk about, if we've got time, the fact that VAR audio was released for the first time and the latest on the Negreira case. There were some more leaks from last week. So lots for us to get through, Sydney. If we don't talk about what you want us to talk about, send us a question and we'll talk about it. We'll try and answer it on our Q&A podcast, which will be out tomorrow for patrons. Remember, patreon.com forward slash TSFP. It's about four euros a month and it's pretty good value. You get loads of extra Spanish football content. Real Madrid 4, Barcelona 1. Uh, Real Madrid were 2-0 up inside 10 minutes. Sid, Vinicius scored a first half hat-trick. It was extraordinarily comfortable for Real Madrid. Yes. Yeah, it really was. Um Surprisingly so. Uh, I think obviously once Madrid had taken a, a, a two-goal lead, you you felt that it was quite likely to be comfortable because not just of the lead itself, but the nature of the two teams, the way in which they play, the qualities that they have and Madrid's willingness to allow Barcelona to have the ball in certain areas of the pitch and know that they could still catch them um, on the break because they're, they're, they're so much quicker a team and so much more athletic a team, which is not to reduce it only to, to speed and athleticism because of course there's a huge amount of quality as well. Um, when Barcelona scored, when Lewandowski scored, perhaps there was half a chance. And of course, we've talked uh, endlessly this season about Barcelona's ability to, or their failings. In other words, that they concede a lot of early goals, but they tend to turn them around. But those games weren't against Real Madrid, a team this good. And yesterday, they didn't really ever find a way to get themselves back into the game. There are a couple of chances in the second half. There's a Ferran Torres one that's, that's saved. Um, there's obviously the, the, the Pedri shot that goes just past the post a little bit before half-time. But I, I think fundamentally, this was a game that really, once those first two goals had go, gone in, maybe even once the first had gone in, never felt mm. like it was ever going to go any other way. No, it didn't. And you mentioned once again uh, Barcelona conceding early on, which is something that they have done consistently uh, throughout the season. We've uh, spoken about the um, statistic where if uh, matches lasted uh, 45 minutes, 
uh, in uh, La Liga. Uh, Barcelona in, would be 15th uh, in the table. Obviously, they, they don't, but that just gives you an idea of how poor they've been in the first half of games. There's also this extraordinary stat, Sid, which we saw on uh, Twitter today. I saw you pointing this out. 19 matches Barcelona have played in La Liga. They've been ahead after 75 minutes in three of those games. Uh, it's really quite extraordinary how they've managed to pull it out of the bag at the end. And I guess, Sid, that kind of ties in with the feeling we have about Barcelona, both both on and off the pitch. It feels like they're teetering on the precipice, just about pulling things off and just about getting it over the line and uh, managing to win games where they didn't really convince and managing to make these signings by selling something off. It just doesn't feel very comfortable for Barcelona at all. And it feels in in stark contrast to Real Madrid. I don't know if I'm reading too much into this and maybe you can give a more sort of nuanced uh, view, but it does feel like Real Madrid are kind of like the polar opposite of Barcelona, both on and off the pitch institutionally. They are so much more balanced, so much so, so much, so much calmer uh, around them. And I, I feel like we're seeing that reflected on the pitch. I don't know, maybe that's a, a simplistic conclusion. No, I think it's uh, I think it's an absolutely right one. I mean, one one way of looking at this would just, would be to say that Real Madrid um, Real Madrid lost Courtois at the start of the season. It's a goalkeeper, and it's different. And we can argue, and indeed we have argued, about whether Kepa is a is a decent alternative. But they signed him pretty quickly, and with very little fuss. They've had injuries uh, at centre back, Eda Militao, and then and of course recently you, you've you've had David Alaba get injured as well. And Madrid have done nothing. And there hasn't been a sense of panic. Now, it's true that it would be, um, I think, over-opportunistic of me to say that just shows it's great when maybe in a month's time I'll be saying they really should have bought a centre-back. That's perfectly plausible. But just that sense that it's okay. It's all right. Yeah. It's okay. We're not, we're not on the edge. We're not about to fall. We're not, yeah. we're not panicking about this. And Whereas Barcelona, it feels almost like the opposite. I saw an ama- amazing statistic. I'm just going to bring it up now because I, I, was, I was really struck by this. I hadn't fully thought of it like this. In last year's Super Cup final, and bear in mind that the context of this is that Barcelona are the team of these two with no money. Now, Madrid don't have a huge amount of money. I think we, we need to be clear about this, but they've had the money to buy the players they've wanted to. You know, over 100 million euros for Bellingham. Uh, they spent, I think it was uh, uh, 80 million euros on Shoemeni. Uh, they've, they've signed the players that they felt that they needed to sign. But here's last year's final. Of the 15 players that Ancelotti used last year, 12 of them are still in the squad. I'm trying to think mm-hmm. who the three that aren't are. Benzema is one of them. I can't think who the other two are. I must, I must, be, missing, I must be missing them. Of the 17 players that Xavi used in the final last year, 11 have already gone. Mm-hmm. Now, we talk a lot about Barcelona having difficulties bringing people in. But what that's telling us is that some of the ones that they bring in are short-term solutions. I don't necessarily have a problem with that in some cases because, of course, we talked about the awareness that people like Adama Traore, for example, were short-term solutions, that they had issues that they felt they needed to respond to immediately. Abama Yang was a short-term solution. They knew that was something to respond to immediately. And that's okay. But if you've got this much of a turnover and, what is it, 250 million euros worth of players in terms of just transfer fees alone that Barcelona has spent in the last two years at a time of financial crisis. Now, the financial crisis is what makes this happen in part, but it's also what makes it difficult to understand that it's happening quite like this. Mm. Um, and it doesn't feel like there's a huge amount of stability. In fact, it feels like there's almost no stability. And no. Xavi, in theory, is the embodiment of what Barcelona want to be in footballing terms. But there's not a huge amount of evidence of that either. 
There really is a bit, but not a huge amount. Yeah, there, there isn't. And Chavi's been questioned quite quite heavily after uh, this defeat. Um, fairly so. I mean, the, 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 it does feel like the pressure's building now. I don't think he's going to be sacked before yeah. the end of the season. I really don't. Even if they lose to Unionistas on Thursday, I mean, that just doesn't feel like that is a decision that's going to be taken before the end of the summer. But if he doesn't win anything, this this you know, if he wins nothing now, I think he's. Um, quite possibly going to be out in the summer. Let me play the doomsday role here. Um, and it's a, it's not what I'm particularly happy with, but I'm, I'm going to. That's not really like you, Sid. You're not a doomsday kind of guy. But here's, here's the doomsday role here and, and, and to, right. to, to, to tie it directly to, to, to Chavi's future. Which is to say, and actually Jorge Valdano made this point last night, I thought it was a really good one. They were talking about Barcelona improving and you know what can change between now and the end of the season and, and how they can improve and, and what they can do differently and stuff. And Valdano said, well... But what changes? Like for them to change in terms of how they play, what changes? Because the personnel's not going to change. They've admitted they can't sign anyone at the moment. Now maybe they'll find ways of generating enough money to sign the defensive midfielder they think they need. But apart from that, what changes? And the only thing you can think of that can change is a change of manager. Mm. Um, and so maybe that's the scenario. And the other thing is, as you just said, if they don't win anything, he probably doesn't continue next year. And this is where I get the doomsday scenario thing for you. What if they start to worry that it's not just about not winning something? What if they start to worry that this situation at the moment in which even Athletic are ahead of them Mm. is not something that's going away? It's not something that just naturally gets turned around. What if they look at this and start thinking, hang on, we may not make the Champions League next year. Now, we're all making Mm. the assumption that Champions League is a top four. It might actually be because of the coefficients and the new structure that it's a top five. In which case, I would say yes. they probably should make the Champions League. But you look at it from the from if you like, our just kind of our default position, which is to look at the top four, and it's not a guarantee that they make the Champions League next year. And so mm. maybe if if they do find themselves that for whatever reason the momentum really starts to go against them, that's the one scenario in which I can see them deciding. As you say, I don't think otherwise there's any point in getting rid of Chavi because what changes? But if they start thinking actually the wheels are really coming off here then maybe they do. Okay, I mean, that is, yeah, real doomsday scenario, but okay. Um, yeah, I mean, the only potential replacement would be Rafa Marquez. I mean, I literally don't think they can bring yeah. anyone else in. So um, anyway, let's see. Let's not go too down the, uh, the the doomsday path. Just going back to the game, uh, Vinicius uh, mm. scoring that first half hat-trick. It's only his second ever hat-trick for uh, Real Madrid. He's, um, well, he's had an injury-plagued season so far. It's um, It's been relatively quiet. He has missed 10 weeks though but this is a terrific sign for for Real Madrid that he's back and I was listening to um, Alvaro Benito on the radio last night the former Real Madrid player and and youth team coach who uh, works on the radio here and he says I think I think Vinicius looks faster and sharper uh, than before his injury I've never seen him look this uh, sparky and yeah I mean he he does he looked really good in that first half yeah he did I, I First of all, I don't really know how to judge that. Yeah. Because, because he looked really, really fast before. And, and if he looked really fast last night, I think we've seen that before. But there were a couple of times last night when he outrun people. And, and you know, obviously we've seen in previous games that Ronald Araujo has played very well against him. Not in all of them, but in some of them. And that's been based on physical condition and speed. And last night he didn't seem to be able to match Vinicius. So I suppose that suggests one of two conclusions. Mm-hmm. Araujo is not as fast mm. or Vinicius is faster. And, and so that's, I, I, I can accept that argument up to a point. The other thing I would say to give this its correct context is that the way that Barcelona played invited it. 
even more than other teams have done against Real Madrid. In fact, far more, I think, than I can remember um, a team doing against Real Madrid. And I think this was partly about Barcelona offering that structure. And in fact, I think Vinicius said post-game last night, didn't he, that Ancelotti had told him, Barcelona will give us the space to run into. We've got to be ready for this. And when they scored the, th- the second, it might have already been the third. They'd already had two one-on-ones even before the third one, which was effectively a one-on-one because you've got Vin- uh, Rodrigo running through as well. And, and on that occasion, I think it's Iñaki Peña makes the save. Um, and I thought Vinicius looked brilliant. And to put this into the context you started with, and I think this is really important, we've watched a rounded team this year where we thought they've played really well a handful of times. They've played quite well a lot of times and they've been just sort of all right quite a lot of the time. Mm. But they've won lots and lots of games. Mm. And I must admit, I've sort of felt all the way through the season that I'm not sure if they're quite there yet. And one of the key pieces missing has been Vinicius. Partly because, as you say, because he's been injured, he's missed 10 games. And if he comes back into this kind of form, a team that over the last six or seven weeks, I think we've started to think has started leaning into that pretty good territory more than previously. I think they're playing better now than they were four or five weeks ago. If you add Vinicius to that, they are genuinely going to be really, really good. And, and honestly, for a lot of this season, I, thought, I felt... Okay, Tony Cruz is playing brilliantly. Yes. Bellingham is playing brilliantly. Yes. And Rudiger's playing brilliantly. And I wasn't really sure if I thought anyone else was. Carvajal. In the last five or six weeks... Ro- yeah, Carvajal, that's true. Yeah, fair point. And I was going to say, in the last five or six weeks, I've started to think Rodrigo's Rodrigo. getting there yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. Having not had a good start. Mm. But if you're adding to that team that is already starting to look like it's getting there, mm. if you're now adding a Vinicius like this, this is now a properly good team. Mm. Well, let's see. Let's see how far they uh, go this season. But they are uh, Spanish Super Cup champions. Their first piece of silverware. Uh, and um, a congratulations to them winning the trophy for the 13th time. We're going to move on. Uh, but like I say, like I always say, um, if you want to ask us a question, do so on Real Madrid or Barca and we will answer it tomorrow. It feels like, Sid, we should probably mention the latest leaks in the uh, Negreira case uh, last week, what did you uh, what did you make of them? Well, just you know, explain explain what we found out and how much you think it changes the the panorama. Yeah, um, I'm not sure that it changes it enormously. To okay. be perfectly honest with you, um, let's try and explain this as simplistically as we can. Essentially, what happened was that the the um, I don't know what you call it, sumario de secreto. I suppose you, you you call it the the kind of the secrecy around the case has been lifted. So, so we the media has has had access to essentially the, the the document that is prepared to try and take this to court. Is effectively the way it works in Spain is you have kind of an, an investigating judge mm. who leads the case, and, it, and I suppose then you get to a point of a pu- public prosecutor who says, "Okay, we now take this to court," and this actually becomes a full on case. Now we were told that the documentation I can't claim to have had this thing in my hand is thirteen hundred pages long, and of course what the media do. Um, because pieces are short, this is what we do, we've only got so much space in the paper, is, is in theory pick out the most interesting parts, yes. the most striking parts, the most, the most um, uh, eye-catching and, and probably, when we're talking about a legal case, the most damning elements of that case that's been brought forth against Barcelona. Mm-hmm. So what we've seen in the last week is quite a lot of quoting the opinion of the judge, and in particular quoting elements of the conversations, well, the conversations, the interrogations, I suppose you could call them, although none of these people have been charged. The interrogations between between the investigators, the police investigators, Guardia Civil investigators, and the referees. And I actually think that most of what we've seen in the media 
has largely been kind of tittle-tattle about those referees. Mm. It's largely been, let's hear what those referees have to say. I don't feel like there's a huge amount of hard and fast evidence. But what has emerged from this, in some cases, is some of those referees um, who had previously said, well, Negredia wasn't that important, now saying things which suggest, at the very least, there was more contact with him. I wouldn't say more important. I mean, we've, we've, one of the big stories to be leaked has been about Iturralde González, a former referee, who, you know, full disclosure here, I know I've worked with and I get on very well with, having changed his story dramatically about um, Negredo because he previously had said is not very important, didn't have much contact with him really, and now it emerges through one of his assistant referees that they ate dinner with him, I'm not sure how many times, four times or something after games in Barcelona. Now, for what it's worth, I don't think... Well, first of all... One of those games being the five control. Yes, but the five. Well, I mean, the five nil is a great example of this, really. But there's absolutely no. Where's the refereeing scandal in a five nil when Barcelona have completely destroyed Real Madrid? There, there really isn't one. Um, now you might be able to find a decision. In fact, I think there might be a potential penalty at two nil. I'm not sure. Um, but anyway, the, the 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 point of this is the point I'm trying to make is that. So I think the fact that a referee goes for dinner with a referee and the head of the referees committee or the vice head of the referees committee who lives in Catalonia, when he goes and referees a game in Catalonia, doesn't seem particularly amazing to me. Mm. And it's certainly no evidence of wrongdoing. What it is evidence, I think, of is of a referee building relationship with a refereeing chief, building a relationship with other referees. There are suggestions from a lot of the referees in these discussions about what they assume Barcelona were trying to achieve. None of them showing evidence of it, but some of them saying, well, I imagine they were trying to get influence all of those referees are saying, and again, this doesn't prove anything, certainly doesn't prove that they, none of them were bought. All of them saying, you can't buy decisions and there's no evidence that they did buy decisions, but I imagine they were trying to curry influence um, and, and have some favour. And all of them have kind of said, yeah, Negley was quite active. He was involved in, in which referees got promotion or not. So that suggests a degree of potential power. Mm. The problem is that none of this evidence demonstrates moments in which that power was abused. But here's my point in all of this. The fundamental fact still remains. Barcelona paid someone they absolutely shouldn't have paid. And that stinks. Mm. And some of these little anecdotal bits of evidence don't look very good. But none of them, I think, in terms of the case, really push it on very far. Now, what the, um, what the court document is saying, the preparation for court document is saying, in other words, the people trying to bring a prosecution are saying is the very fact of Barcelona paying this money is evidence of wrongdoing. Now, I personally would agree with that. What I don't know that we can actually do definitively, and I think from the point of view of the case, it seems quite weak to me, is demonstrate that. Hmm. Which is, of course, why, and we talked about this before, there was a suggestion of, well, there has been, in fact, a changing of the charge from sporting corruption, in which you would have to demonstrate the games that have been brought, to, um, what's the phrase I'm looking for? Bribery, coecho, it's mm. called in Spanish. In other words, you're trying to curry favour with a public official. And in a situation like that, the very fact of paying them for a service that can't be justified, in this case, refereeing reports and so on, is in itself a crime, regardless of whether you have any benefit from it. Mm. The trouble is, of course, a referee may not be able... You may not be able to prove that a referee is a public official. Yes, that's true. Um, OK, well, I um, thought it was important to, to mention that. We will continue uh, to mention the ongoing investigation into this ongoing case and uh, we'll see whether or not we get some resolution or not, which we bloody hope that we do um, because it would be beneficial to everyone. I think, I, think. I, think, I think it will be, if it goes to court, 
I think there's a very good chance, unfortunately, that it will be a long and tedious and not very interesting case. I would love to think that one day someone would turn up and provide the smoking gun. Mm. But I suspect that that's not going to happen. Here's what happened in match day 20 in La Liga. Friday night saw Sevilla suffer yet another defeat, one of the most damaging of the season. They were beaten 3-2 at home by Alaves. Alaves hadn't won away to Sevilla since 1954. They were 2-0 up and Sevilla managed to get themselves back into the game, uh, drawing 2-2 before conceding uh, in the 90th minute to Ruben Duarte, a massive win for uh, Alaves and a catastrophic result uh, for Sevilla. Then on Saturday, Las Palmas added uh, more problems to uh, Villarreal, who keep conceding goals. Uh, Las Palmas scored three of them. The second one was scored by the fabulously named Juanma Herzog, who was making his debut in uh, La Liga, a centre-back who scored a a terrific header. Uh, Kirian Rodriguez got the other two. Uh, Mallorca and Celta played out a 1-1 draw. Sid, you were in Bilbao to watch the Bas derby between Athletic Club and La Real, which Athletic won by two goals to one, thanks to a brace from Alex Berenguer. And Betis beat Granada by a goal to nil, scored by Isco with 15 minutes to go. Then on Sunday, something of a surprise, or not, as Girona drew nil-nil away to uh, Almeria. Almeria had previously drawn their last two home games uh, nil-nil, so continuing uh, that run. But two points dropped for Girona, who do go top of the table, a point clear of Real Madrid, having played a game more. And then the other game on Sunday saw Cadiz beaten 4-1 by Valencia at home. Another terrible result. At the time of recording, Sergio Gonzalez is still the manager of Cadiz, but it feels like he is um, very much facing the possible possible sack. Uh, we'll start by uh, reflecting on that game, Sid. Not, 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 not so much what happened in the game, but the fact that we had VAR audio being released for the first time uh, this week. So um, from the Sevilla game, uh, when there was a penalty given, which I don't think it was a penalty, and the Valencia game where a penalty was given, which I don't think was a penalty. But we got the video, the audio and subtitles uh, on the incidents uh, where the referee did an on-field uh, review. Uh, firstly, what do you think of this? And then tell us... Um, about Farley's uh, very good uh, mm. assessment. Yeah, what I think about this is that, that there is a slight misconception, although I, uh, in fairness, I don't think everyone's um, going down the route of this misconception. I, I think most people recognise it for what it is. I think there is a misconception that this is about improving the refereeing, and it doesn't. I think, I think it, it helps us maybe understand, and it, it offers transparency at a time, and we've already talked about the Negada case, when the desire for transparency, I think, is quite high. Mm. But I must admit, I personally think this is something the media quite fancies, rather than, rather than something that necessarily will help refereeing. Mm. You know, there's another bit of information. And, and obviously, I'm fundamentally in favour of knowing more and seeing more from the inside. I, I think that's not a bad thing. I, I, my, my concern with it is that I think it, it, it leads us down even more of a track where even more of our focus will be referees mm. rather than the football itself. I mean, so much so that well, here we are. won't, Sid. Ours won't. Yeah, well, I was going to say, <laughs> so much so that here we are, even us doing it, right? But um, the other part of this that I think is really interesting is that I think there's two things here. I think one of them is actually the evidence of these two decisions and these two sets of conversations. We should point out, by the way, that this isn't put out live while it's happening. No. They're not allowed to. In fact, in theory, they're not even supposed to do it the same day. But basically, the, 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 the recordings will be released to the TV companies with the rights, mm-hmm rather than this being put out by the Federation or by the Referees Committee, and it's not going out live, but it's, it's then being added, if you like, to the highlights package shows or the post-game shows. Um, in both of these cases, I actually thought there was a bit of a... I think a bit of, of a problem 
in terms of what we've been told the VAR is for. We were told that in these conversations, the VAR guy would only really have a conversation that said, I recommend you go and see it, and I will now um, provide it for you. Uh, I will now provide you with the images. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the conversation would be, hello, Mr... Referee, I'm Mr. Var. Obviously, they won't actually say that because they know that. Um, go and have a look at this. Mr. Referee would go to the screen and say, can I have the reverse angle, please? Can I have it from the other side? Can you stop it there? Can you show me the contact? In these cases, and in particular in the severe one, actually, no, no, actually in both of them, the Var guy was saying, come and have a look at it, and it's a penalty, and I'll tell you why, basically. Mm. We're saying, look at this, look, he does the contact. And essentially, the guy on the field was sort of being told what to give. And we'd been told that actually, however much he's provided with the tools, he will still... Now, he still does have the authority to give a decision different to the one the guy in the room is saying. But if we hear it like this, we're basically being shown why when a VAR calls you, you're going to agree with them. Mm. Now, obviously, that's natural because they wouldn't, in theory, call you unless it's obvious. But I think both of these cases were not that clear and obvious. No. And I thought there was a degree of leaning on the principal referee by the VAR referee in both conversations. Um, one of them is a handball where the VAR referee is saying, look, look, he moves his hand towards it a bit. And the other one is a foul where the VAR referee says, if you notice, he takes him from behind and then we'll show you the other angle. And basically the conversation is basically the first referee saying, can I have it from the back, please? Okay, show me the point of contact. Freeze it there for me. Let me see it. Now show me the front. The front's really clear. And they have a conversation and they decide on a penalty. What I thought was interesting, you asked me to mention it, is Fally. Mm. And I really like this because Fally post-game... Now, you can be, you can agree, by the way, with Fally or disagree with Fally him. Fally is fine. the Cadiz uh, centre-back, yes. Yeah. So Fally post-game was, compla- was, was played this footage. And this footage, by the way, producer Al just pointed out to us, has been put on social media as well. This, this footage was played to him and Hugo Duro, uh, one Cadiz player, one Valencia player. And Fally was really interesting because he went off on one And he went on a bit of a rant and he said, look, the referee has seen this. It's right in front of it. He's seen it live. And now you've got a guy in the studio saying to him, come and have a look at it again. You're wrong because the arm moves and look at this. And he says, and we're looking at it and the arm does move a little bit, but hardly anything. And the first referee has been staring at it live and he has seen it. And that's never a handball in my view. That's never, ever a handball. And this is Caddy who got the the penalty. This is this way. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I was building to that. Oh, I was sorry, that the sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I should have known. So, so, so basically, he's 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 going on about this and saying this is all sorts of wrong. It's never a handball. It should never be. And even if it is a handball, it's not a clear and obvious claro y manifiesto, as they say in Spanish. For the VAR to be making this decision is all sorts of wrong. And as you say, and yet it benefited him. And I thought, you know what? Even if I disagreed with him, I'd be saying good on you mm. for giving us an anal- an analysis based on your conceptualization of how this should work rather than based on your self-interest. Mm. And I was just really impressed with him. And I just thought, good on you. Mm-hmm. Good on you. Let's see um, if Cadiz can get out of the very difficult situation uh, that they're in. Um, doesn't feel like it at the moment. Uh, tell us about no, it doesn't, does tell it? Tell us about your experience in Bilbao, Sydney. You went to see the best team in La Liga right now, Athletic Club. Not my words, yep. the words of Imanol Aguacil, the Real Sociedad manager, who post game, despite having been beaten two one, and it's a defeat that that hurts for Real Sociedad, and it's also a defeat that that damages them quite badly. It leaves them nine points behind Athletic. I mean, you know, it's early still, but that's obviously a very big gap. And he said post game. It was really interesting because he was, he was giving an analysis. And I don't, by the way, necessarily disagree with him. 
Uh, but I thought it was unusual for a manager to give this analysis. And he said, look, if you look at the game, they only had two shots. They scored both of them. They actually had three mm. on target mm. in the whole game. We only had one and we only scored that one. And that actually is true on target. It was 3-1 mm. in shots. It finished 2-1 in the result. He said, they are a team that if you look at their numbers in recent weeks, are producing huge numbers of crosses, creating loads and loads of chances. And we limited them and we stopped them doing that. And in that sense, we should be reasonably satisfied with how we played. Obviously, you can never be satisfied when you get defeated, get defeated, get defeated even. But... We, we actually played all right. He said, because this is Athletic Club, who are the best team in Spain at the moment in terms of how they're playing. The numbers show that. The way they're playing shows that. And so this isn't so bad. Um, I, I really liked Ernesto Valverde's response to this. I, I asked Valverde. He came in after him. And I said, look, Imanol's just said you're the best team in Spain. And he said, well, Real Madrid are 10 points ahead of us. <laughs> they are, uh, you know, literally. And Girona 9. So, yeah, I mean. Well, no, the other way around, I think, isn't it? Hold on. No, the uh, Girona now at eleven, right? Giro- no, Girona because they got their one point. From- oh, Sid, we're doing maths. Well, Real Madrid are only seven points above um, Athletic. Oh, because they just won. Sorry, yeah. yeah. Well, it had been ten, yeah, before the game. That's why. Yes, yeah, sorry, sorry. Yes, yes, it had been. 10. <laughs> <laughs> just stay clear well, of numbers. God, just Al. Next time we try and mention any kind of numbers, just edit out. Um, Girona are yeah. a point clear at the top of La Liga. That's the positive for them. I think the positive for them is to put in their worst performance of the season and actually get something out of the game because they were really, really poor yeah. at Almeria. Almeria were all, were all over them, really should have won, and yet Girona somehow managed to, to get something out of the game. Yeah, in fact, uh, Michel described it as a notición, a great piece of great news. Mm. It's a great piece of news that we got something in a game like this. Mm. Um, Poor old Almeria, who really haven't been as bad as their numbers suggest this year. They're not good. I'm not going to claim they're good by any means, but they haven't been as bad. Mm. They, um, well, I was about to use the old cliche then, and then I thought, well, in, in the context of match fixing, maybe I shouldn't use this cliche. I was going to say they can't buy a win at the moment. Maybe they should try. Maybe that's what they should do now. Mm. Try and buy a win um, because they just can't. And, and I think it is, I do think this is a really, really bad result for Girona. But you're right, given the context of the game, the way it was played, the number of chances that Gazaninga had to save, for example, this actually turned out to be an all right result. Yeah, it did. And they are. A point clear at the top of the table, Real Madrid's game in hand, is uh, next Thursday against Getafe. So let's see how they uh, get on with that. Before that, we've got Copa del Rey last 16 uh, this week. The football really is quite relentless in uh, in January. Uh, Tuesday, you've got Getafe, Sevilla, Athletic Club, Alaves and Tenerife at Mallorca. Tenerife, the only second division side left in the competition. Then on Wednesday, Valencia, Celta, Osasuna, La Real and Girona, Rayo. And then on Thursday... Unionistas, third tier Unionistas at home to Barcelona and that Madrid derby at the Metropolitano, Atletico Madrid against Real Madrid. So that's what's coming up uh, this week. Enjoy that football, guys. We will be back later on in the week to analyse it over at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. We'll also be doing a uh, Q&A pod, which I think I've mentioned several times tomorrow. So send us your questions. If you don't want to pay for it, don't worry. We'll be back here giving it away for free next Monday. Adios. Cheerio. Thank you.